0: to another Sunday morning with Grace Life Church. We're thankful that you have come to join us today. And uh, as we always do, we like to give a Grace Life greeting. Uh, For those of you who are tired, who are weary, who are frustrated, um, who are afraid, who are maybe apprehensive and anxious, uh, who are just so exhausted and at your wit's end with all the pandemic, stay-at-home, lockdown, financial hardship, um, are those that are just feeling guilty today, and feeling worthless, and feeling empty? Uh, we invite all of you to come uh, in the presence of God with us, and to enjoy worship the worship of Christ, who is the most understanding person in the history of the world. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning in our worship service. So I want to pray, and then we can get started. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. We pray that. You would remove any hindrances, any distractions from us, and as we come into your presence through worship and music and prayer, uh, help us to feel connected. Lord. I know digitally, it's it's a real distraction and it's a challenge, but just help us, help us to do that, God, and help us to do it well today. Um, and may you receive glory and honor, and may the risen Lord be exalted um, by even our imperfect efforts to worship Him. He accepts through faith, all that we offer him for the cause and the sake of Christ. And I pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, before I'm back to worship team, I just want to thank the Hendricks again for opening up their home and showing us just amazing hospitality, giving us a place to live stream. Um, just to tell you, after we sing some songs, uh, I'm going to come back and we're going to do what we did last week a little bit. We're going to interact uh, just so that we can all feel human again. And I don't, I don't want this to feel artificial or synthetic or plastic I want it to be real. This is not pre recorded. This is, you get the raw, unvarnished, unedited version here, okay? So we're all together wherever you're at, uh, in your car, in your living room, in your PJs. Um, Maybe you just woke up, you're drinking coffee. I'm glad you're with us today. So we'll interact a little bit after we sing some worship songs together and before the sermon. So I'm looking forward to that. So TJ is back with us and Kyle, and they're going to come and lead worship this morning, guys.
1: Good morning, guys. Um, before we get into worship, guys, I just want to pray. Um, I've been out for a couple weeks, and uh, definitely feel like uh, past couple weeks have been uh, been in a bit of a desert, um, so to speak. I can only imagine how everyone feels, um, not having a community of church, and um, um, but how good it is that you're still able to connect via uh, Facebook and YouTube. And um, just want to take a second just to give God um, all the glory, and honor, and grace. Um, even as we're struggling, even as we're having a hard time, um, for these times, that God is still worth um, our glory and our praise and truth. Uh, Father God, just uh, we love you this morning. Uh, just want to come before Your throne, God. And, um, again, wherever two of our gathered, so there are you, Father God. We just know that uh, that You're going to be in our presence this morning, Father God, and we we'll just be able to humbly offer ourselves up to You as a living sacrifice, Father God. And, uh, we lift our voices in the comforts of our own home. Mm-hmm. That it would just be. Us and you, Father God, and no one else, uh, no distractions, Father God, and we just give you all the glory, and honor, and praise. We love you
2: is all I know I won't be she I won't be she My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love My fear didn't stand a chance when I was standing in your room. I I, I I and to hide. And I am a captive not to be shaken. I will be shaken. I won't be shaken. I not be shaken. I will
3: be I
2: not be shaken. not not doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing for your love. This power that can break off every chain. This power that can empty. think you're alive, to tender whispers of love, in the it night and you me that you're and I'm never alone. you're good, good so you are Single, singing, 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 Lord i singing, 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 uh, we're all searching for answers We need to provide us more. just what we need Before we say good, 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 good. Uh, To the Lord, to the Lord, to the Tu-ai-e. 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 Yeah. You are perfect in all of the ways. You are perfect in all of the ways. You are perfect in all of the ways. us. You are perfect in all of the ways. You are perfect in all of the ways. You are perfect in all of the ways. You are. Our love is so undeniable. I can hardly me speak so unexplainable lie. I can hardly think I'm and do wrong deeper still and do wrong deeper still and do wrong deeper still Jesus, in the name of God, every other man. on. Oh.
4: scripture reading will be the book of Isaiah, chapter, 50, chapter 55, the entire chapter. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk, without money without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, here, that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, in my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. And behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you, you shall run to, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the, cy- come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off.
0: Well, good morning, Grace Lappers. Here we are in. And you guys know this is Grace Life. We're not about a whole bunch of bells and whistles. Um, And we're still actually trying to improve our tech here as best we can to serve you uh, very well. So we're trying some things out with the microphone this morning. I'd love to interact with you a little bit just to make sure that everyone out there, both YouTube and Facebook, can hear me as clearly as possible. Just make sure your own volume is is turned up all the way if, if I sound a little low. Uh, but I'd love to get your feedback right now. We, we've, we've scooted the uh, computer back a little bit. we tried to bring the two cameras closer. You know, I'm looking at two cameras right now. I'm looking at the YouTube camera. Now I'm looking at the Facebook Live camera, so that's why my eyes are split back and forth, and I've got a lot of pictures of the congregation back here behind me, your beautiful smiling faces, and, man, how long to be back with you guys in person, face-to-face. So, how's everybody doing out there? You, you guys having a great week? Everybody excited to, to worship again this morning? I know I am. Miss you guys. Uh, I was able to speak with Patty Parks uh, and get an update uh, last week. Actually, she left me a voice message, and she was just sharing with me. If you don't know, Patty Parks is our Grace Life missionary in Ireland, uh, which is, as you know, like a, Ireland's a big, gigantic island, right, <laughs> in some ways. And it's very close to Europe. So they are taking this probably a lot more serious, this, this pandemic, the COVID-19 uh, virus. They're, they're in real lockdown there. She was giving me just some of the requirements from the government. Uh, they can only go out to exercise once a day. And they can stay out the maximum one hour. And they can only go one mile from their house. Uh, they can leave to get groceries, to get medicine, or to go to the post office. And she was telling me that the hospital just right down the road from where she lives 70 doctors and nurses caught the coronavirus and it spread like wildfire in the community in fact her pastor's wife there in cabin uh, contracted this virus and had to be in self quarantine for 14 days people brought their groceries it's really affecting them in ways maybe we don't see here in Volusia County Um, and so you know, obviously Europe is where a lot of the plagues started and they, even though it's far removed from this time and and Arab people have a memory and it frightened them. So we just want to remember to be praying for her. She's doing great. Ministry continues. In fact, I love it the way that Patty encourages me. She said, Tommy, the word of God has not changed and it's going forth even on new platforms with, with, uh, technologically. And so I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And, uh, We need to really pray for our government, guys. We need to pray for not just our president and our senators and our congressmen, but for governors and for mayors, Um, you know. Can you imagine trying to run a country right now? I can't imagine it. I mean, in some ways, I guess, what pastors are called to do is to manage and shepherd a church, and that's challenging enough, and and that's people that love Jesus and love each other. (laughs) Can you imagine running a country that's divided and that there's hostility, There's political animosity. There's, you know, there's partisan stuff going on. I can't imagine it. And as much as I need your prayer as a pastor to shepherd this church, our our leaders need wisdom. Uh, I was talking to our elders last week, and we were going back and forth about, you know, what's it going to look like when the country and when Florida and when Volusia County reopens? You know, we rent a high school. We rent the Deltona High School, and we're at the mercy of both our government nationally, federally, and locally. And we're also at the mercy of Volusia County. Um, So when are they, when they reopen, what's it going to look like for us? And we're not sure still, we're still trying to figure that out. We're we're trying to get together as best we can as a staff and figure out uh, what's reopening going to look like for Grace Life. Will it be the same? Um, In fact, you probably received last night a survey from Grace Life, and it's just three or four really simple questions And I really hope that you answer those. That will really serve us better uh, to know when we do reopen, uh, what's that going to look like? How many people are going to be interested in helping? How many people are still going to have reservations and be afraid? That survey is completely anonymous. You you should get it in the email. Please fill it out as soon as you can and as honestly as you can. This is the the one time you can really be honest. We're not going to do who says what, uh, but we'll, we'll get a good feel. We'll put our finger on the pulse of, you know, if, if the government and Volusia County says, okay, churches, you can reopen. If we did it next week, how many people would show up? How many people would be willing to serve? What expectations would they have uh, of the church to be a, a safe and a sanitized environment? So that survey asks questions like that. So hopefully you guys are, are, are going to be able to to fill that out, receive it, and send it back. Um, trying to think what else is going on. Um, I'm reading some of your comments here. Very good to see all of you guys out there and I know that you're tuning in. Sounds like the microphone is working. We don't need to make any adjustments. Um, man, I miss you and I'm praying for you. And I appreciate and feel your prayers. Uh, just an update on the church. I know a lot of churches right now are suffering financially because this is a really hard time for people to give sacrificially and to give faithfully because we don't know what the future holds. Economically, all the predictions are all over the place. Um
5: But I want you to know
0: that God has taken good care of this church. And I got an update from our financial elder, Steve uh, Ekman, just a couple of weeks ago. And he said, thank the Lord and and thank you for giving sacrificially and faithfully. Those of you who are able, it's always an act of faith to give and giving hurts. And God asks us to give cheerfully. And you guys are doing that. And and I'm thankful for that. Um, And I I just praise the Lord for, for a church that's faithful in that way. And, and others who aren't able, that's okay. You know, God understands. There's the story of the widow who gave her last two mites and then basically went home to die. Um, a lot of people say Jesus is commending her. I don't think he is. I think Jesus is saying this is what false religion leads to. And we're certainly not asking you to give your last two pennies and go home and die. You know, uh, in fact, the church, uh, we have a benevolence fund. For those of you that are, that are facing a crisis, please reach out to us. You can go to our website, and you can find out the ways to contact us and let us know your need. So, uh, well, that's that's enough updating for now. Uh, that doesn't count for my sermon time, okay? So we're gonna start the clock now. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna jump in the Word. If you have a copy of the Bible, keep it open to the passage that Kyle read from Isaiah 55. Let's pray, and, and we'll get started, okay? Father, thank you for this opportunity again to come to your Word and to feed, to feast, to delight ourselves, Lord to be reminded again of the rich provision, the abundance that, that you have, this, this amazing invitation that you throw out to all of humanity, that you know our shortcomings, our flaws, our weaknesses, our failures, our rebellion, our insubordination. You are aware of all of that, even more than we are, and yet you still offer, you still offer us a place at your table to come, and eat, and drink, and to be satisfied and to be filled at your expense, Lord. At your expense, it's still very costly, except we're not the ones that are gonna pay the bill. Lord, you can take care of everything. You've met our deepest and most profound and significant human need. And you invite us to come and glorify you and celebrate that provision together. And Lord, I feel inadequate. I really do. I feel inadequate and weak and unable as a human being, uh, redeemed in Christ, but uh, in a fallen body with a fallen mind that, that sometimes doesn't work the right way. I feel inadequate to try and do justice to this passage, so would you please send your spirit to come and help me and to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that that rejoices in understanding this good news. This is the gospel from the Old Testament, Lord, and it's not just for unbelievers. It's for Christians, too, who feel stuck and have lost their way, and they feel empty or they feel guilty or they feel lost. So there's a word here for all of us. Help us to listen, Lord, and give us clarity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Isaiah chapter 55. Uh, the passage has been read already, and I, I think I'd just like to start it like this. We all spend a lot of time, if we're honest, trying to prove ourselves worthy uh, that we belong, that we belong, that we're good enough, that we belong in this community, that we belong in this family, uh, that, that we would be a great addition to this club or um, to this school or to this business or this career. That's part of our DNA and, and really that's the way that the world is structured. That's the way it's set up. So we spend a lot of time trying to prove ourselves, um, whether it's a family, a school, uh, whether it's a purchase of some kind. You guys know this. If you want to buy something, you have to provide credentials, don't you? They have to run the numbers. They want to paycheck stuff. They want to know, hey, look, are you wealthy enough to, to make payments on this? Are you up to this? Are you good enough? Or maybe if, if, You want to get a certain job, then you got to provide some credentials, don't you? This is my past employment history. Here are some references. Here are some people that are going to lie to you about me, right? Here's somebody that's going to vet for me. They're going to say, this guy is legit. He's good enough. So whether it's a payment you're making, whether it's a school that you're trying to get into, they want your official transcript, don't they? Are you really smart enough to be in this school? Have you done your due diligence? What are your grades like? What's your work ethic? All of life is like that. We are always trying to prove ourselves that we're good enough, right? All of us are like that. I even felt that way when I was asking my father-in-law permission for my wife's hand in marriage. I almost felt like it was an interview, but it wasn't. He was very gracious and and, and very affirming to me. But Whether it's a family you're wanting to be a part of, or whether it's a job you're you're vying for, or whether it's a school you're applying for, or a purchase you're gonna make, it's, that's that's the stuff of everyday life I even remember earlier this year because of my age it was time for my wife and I to reapply for life insurance uh, you know the older you get the more serious applying for life insurance is and I'm always I'm always opting for the premium for the premium coverage which which means I'm, I have premium health I have optimized my health and so you can't just tell people that hey I'm healthy I eat kale I drink, you know, I drink smoothies every day. No, 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 my friend. They want proof. They want proof. And even if they do a Spanish inquisition on you, okay, they're asking you all these questions. And it's, I want to say it's ridiculous, but it's not. It just proves we live in a fallen world. People assume you're going to lie. They say, do you use smokeless tobacco? Oh, no, no, no. I don't do that. Well, when's the last time that you smoked a cigarette? <laughs> they're going to ask you, you know, okay heck I don't remember that well they want to know anyway how many alcoholic beverages do you drink every week Uh, do you have an ATV do you have a trampoline in your yard do you ride bulls they asked all those questions and then they took blood samples they took saliva samples they took urine samples they don't take you at your word they want to know are you really as healthy as you say you are see we're always trying to prove yes I'm good enough I'm tall enough to ride this ride I'm smart enough to get in this school I'm skilled enough to work for your company. All of life is like that. And it I know that sounds awfully American, but it doesn't matter. You can go anywhere on the globe, and you'll find some form or version of this. In fact, I was watching a documentary last year. This was so troubling to me. It was this, you know, it, you hear it was this deep, dark jungle in the middle of the Amazon forest, an aborigine tribe, and this was a rite of passage for young men who were coming of age, and they were going to prove that they are ready to be a man, they're good enough to be a contributing member of this little village. So you know what they had to do: twelve-year-old kids had to climb up this rickety tower built with bamboo sticks and tied together with vines, and they had to tie a vine that was about this big around to their ankle and dive off the top of this 100-foot-tall, rickety, shaky tower uh, and come inches from from hitting the very bottom, and the only thing that kept them from death was this little vine, and in many cases, friends, that vine would snap, it would break, and so they would hit head first, they would break their neck, They would, many of them would die, some of them would be paralyzed for life, and I guess the gods have made their choices, right? It's terrible, it's terrible, uh, but if you survive, you're ready, you're worthy, you're good enough, the gods have smiled their favor on you. There was another documentary I watched and this is the worst. This is this was the worst. The, the, the coming of age, the rite of passage for you to be a, an upstanding member of this village and to be a warrior was you had to go into the woods and collect something called bullet ants. Have you guys ever heard of bullet ants? You know why they call them bullet ants? Because their sting is the equivalent of being shot with a rifle. If you've ever been shot by one, you would know that, right? So their 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 sting is the worst. It's the top of the most excruciatingly painful sting of any insect in the known world. So, so the women in the village would go out into the jungles and they would collect bullet ants and they would, uh, I don't know what the right word it is, uh, like smoke on a beehive, they would put them to sleep. And then they would weave these bullet ants with their stinger facing inward into this, into this glove, you know, that was woven together with plants. And the 12 year old kids, when these bullet, when these bullet ants woke up, these 12 year old kids had to shove their hand into these bullet ant gloves and leave them there for 10 seconds okay, and like bullet ant stings would cover their hands and um, the pain would last for 24 hours. Sometimes it would lead to cardiac arrest, sometimes it would lead to to memory loss, hallucination. One American went over there and tried it and he ended up in the ER on morphine and said he'll never do that again as the worst experience of his life. What am I trying to say here? All I'm trying to say is we spend a lot of time trying to prove ourselves. We're good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, fast enough, tall enough, we're worthy to be in this or that, right? Um, but life calls our bluff, doesn't it? Life calls our bluff, and really what Isaiah is all about, for those of you that are familiar with this book, it's it's uh, one of the major prophets, not because it's more important, but because it's longer, there's 66 chapters in this book. And the first 40 chapters of Isaiah, 40 chapters out of 66 are all about judgment. It is. It's, it's like everybody gets nuked, okay? The prophets get nuked because they perverted the word of God. The priests get nuked because they misrepresented God and, they, and they've not loved the shepherd of his people. Um, the people get nuked. The men get nuked. The women, uh, everyone is committing gross idolatry. In fact, that's most of what you're going to find in, in the early chapters of Isaiah is Isaiah calling out the people. He's calling them back to covenantal faithfulness. He's calling them on their sin, on their rebellion, on their spiritual harlotry, and choosing other gods from the pagan nations around them. I mean, Isaiah is telling the people, you blew it. You absolutely blew it. You had one job. (laughs) You had one job in the world. God called you. He made you his people, his special treasure, the apple of his eye, and he sent you into the promised land to be a blessing to the other nations, to say to all the nations around you, this is what God is like. And this is how we live our life in light of that. This is how he changes us. This is how God is our treasure. He's everything we need. And they absolutely blew it. They compromised. They vacillated. They sinned. They rebelled. They deviated and departed from God's covenantal guidelines. And so the first 40 chapters is God calling them out. And he's saying, you're not worthy. You haven't done what I've asked you to do. You have blown it. That's why you're in exile. For those of you that don't know, Isaiah was written to people that were banished. They were living in Babylonian captivity. They were like in prison, spiritually speaking. God was chasing them and and disciplining them like wayward children because they were. But then something really radical and shocking happens in the the last third of Isaiah, starting in chapter 40, but really it culminates in this chapter right here, Isaiah 55, and it is the most shocking and surprising and wonderful thing that you could ever read. In fact, it's so shocking and so surprising that a lot of uh, liberal, critical scholars do not believe that Isaiah wrote this chapter. They don't believe that Isaiah wrote anything past chapter 39. Do you know why? Because the subject changes. That's exactly what the gospel does, friends. It changes the subject from judgment to grace, from what's wrong with you to what's right about God, from your problem to what God has done through Christ to change your problem. But it's so shocking and so surprising that that. Uh, liberal scholars say uh, this is a different author. This is a different Isaiah. In fact, they, they do it three times. They say there's up to three different Isaiahs who wrote this scroll, but they're wrong. It's not. It's the same Isaiah because it's the same God. And, and his message should be just as shocking and surprising and also liberating and freeing to us as it was to them because what God is going to say is, I know that you come up short. Uh, just like the, you know, when you fill out the application to get into this school or to get this job and, and or to get this loan, and they send you word and they say, "Look, we've ran the numbers, and I'm really sorry, we have bad news." Uh, thank you for applying, but it's just not going to work out. You know, you're not pre-qualified, or you don't make enough. Uh, the first 39 chapters was that, but then chapter 55, chapter 40 on, really, but chapter 55, it's shocking and surprising because God says you don't measure up. You're unworthy. You're sinful. You have fallen under my judgment. But guess what? I love you anyway, and I still want you. So come on anyway. You're not qualified. You're not worthy, but I want you anyway. Somebody has made a way for you to come back and be reunited to your family. It's God putting the family picture back up on the wall. And guess what? Your faces and your names aren't blackened out. They're highlighted. He's proud to call you back to himself. That's what's so shocking. And so amazing about this. In fact, one man named Dan Oliver, he said this. Few words could be more important for an understanding of the gospel than this. Surprise, surprise. And man, I really want us to feel the shock and the surprise of the gospel this morning, even though we're gonna look at it from an Old Testament passage, Isaiah 55. This is the gospel because it talks about, look, come, come, this great invitation, come to me. Come and be part of this feast, this celebration, this party. Uh, come and buy wine. Come and buy milk. Come and eat bread. Be nourished. Be strengthened. Join the celebration uh, without money and without price. Come and buy without money. Isn't that surprising? Doesn't that sound weird? I mean, is this author delusional? He's inviting us to come and buy something, even though we're broke. We're broke and we're hungry. That's the name of this sermon, actually. Broke and hungry at our wit's end. But God's inviting us anyway. Why? Because provision has been made. The bill has already been taken care of. Somebody picked up the tab on our behalf and they're not angry about it. They're not put off by it. They still very much want you to, that's the way you say, thank you. You come and you celebrate this feast anyway. And listen, guys, I got to be honest with you. You know, there's words here like wine and milk. Um, but this is not like seven 11 box wine and it's not skim milk. Okay. And this is the good bread. It's not the stuff that's, that's, you know, filled up if you're a, a homeopathic, organic bread maker from home. This is the good stuff, okay? It goes stale in a few days, so you better come down and eat this stuff. It's amazing. It's like uh, Michelle's bread. It's like Matt's bread and all you bread makers out there. Uh, this is the really good stuff. Top, top of the shelf quality. God only gives the best for his people. So this is God changing the subject. It's shocking, and it's unexpected, and it's, and it's marvelous. Uh, That's why Jesus loved Isaiah. That was one of his favorite prophets to quote from. In fact, the first sermon that Jesus ever preached, this is a little Bible trivia, and it's free of charge, okay? The first sermon Jesus preached, I believe, chronologically reading the Gospels, was not the Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't. It was in his hometown in Nazareth in the synagogue. And you know what text he used? Isaiah chapter 61, You know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the the poor, the oppressed, to the prisoners, to announce to them, hey, the jail cell is open. That's the shock and the surprise of Isaiah. So I want to buy you. We're just going to dig. We're going to scratch the surface a little bit this morning. But if you want to dig deeper, you go and you read chapters 40 to the end of Isaiah and you'll understand why a liberal scholar that doesn't believe that all of the Bible is authored by God and the Holy Spirit would scratch their head and say, this doesn't seem right. No, it doesn't. It doesn't seem right, right? It's 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 counterintuitive because what we deserve is judgment, and what God offers us is grace, forgiveness, pardon. What we deserve is to be in prison, and what God does is come and unlock the prison doors and said, come forth, my people, and be free. Be free. So that's what this is all about. This passage has been entitled uh, The Great Invitation, Isaiah 55, and it is, and it is. And if if you know Isaiah, you'll know that this passage, The Great Invitation, comes on the heels of uh, the great suffering servant from from Isaiah 53, right? And the great blessing in Isaiah 54. So um, the suffering servant is the one who comes and does what Israel couldn't do. Israel failed, they didn't represent God in the world, and they're judged for it, but that's okay. Because God is going to send somebody who represents him perfectly. He's going to send the true Israel. He's going to send an Israelite who doesn't have a spot and doesn't have blemish. And is going to actually tell the world and show the world what God's really like. His suffering servant is going to do that. And that's what Isaiah prophesied in chapter 53. And in chapter 54, he's talking about the global blessing that's going to come from this. The redemption that's going to come from it. So chapter 55 is all about now. Everyone come and enjoy this celebration. You are all invited, and it is shocking. And we're gonna see just three things. I wanna show us three things that these this invitation tells us about ourselves. okay? It's things you may already know, but it's good when the Bible uh, shocks us by, by, by telling us these truths in a way that encourages us. And here's point number one, okay? Point number one is you and I were made for a feast. Did you know that? You and I were made for a feast. It's hardwired into us. It's part of our DNA. In fact, you see it here, this passage starts out, it actually says, boy, uh, in, in Hebrew, and it's, hey, hey, you out there, listen. He says, hey, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, and without price, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food Incline your ear and come to me Hear that your soul may live. And we'll go a little bit further in a minute. But did you hear all those words? Wine, milk, water, bread, eat, nourish, be satisfied. <clears throat> God made you. He made you to seek out satisfaction and joy and to have your soul to be enthralled and overwhelmed by something. And you will find something to be overwhelmed and and uh, enthralled, excuse me, um, and to be satisfied by. You will. You'll either find that in God, in Christ, or you're going to look somewhere else for that, and he addresses that in a minute. But listen, you don't have to be embarrassed or hide the fact that you are on a quest for joy. You are, and I am. In Isaiah, uh, he uses the analogy at a feast. We're all hungry. We're all thirsty. God made us to enjoy food. You know, it's, I believe everything that you see around you, all the realities that we have, even the fact that we have eyes to behold beauty, we have ears to hear, you know, beautiful, perfect music, uh, unless I'm singing and playing an instrument, right? Uh, all, the, all the senses that God gave us. You have a mouth to taste with a palate what rich, abundant food tastes like. You have a you have a stomach that when it's full, you're at peace. It's wonderful. When you're starving, you get angry, right? Why? Because God gave you a stomach, and it's supposed to be filled with good food, not the cheap stuff that you get at the racetrack roller tray to and, and 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 hot dogs. We don't really know what's in them, right? God made us to feast. He made us to be happy. He made us to be joyful. In fact, one of the first books I read, I feel like I'm going at 100 miles an hour, guys. Let me slow down a little bit. The first book that I read, one of the first books as a Christian, was called Desiring God. And it was written by some guy up in Minneapolis named John Piper. It was one of the first books he wrote. And I just remember feeling and thinking, somebody who understands me finally. Because John Piper is recounting his youth. And he's saying, you know, I always wanted to be happy and I felt guilty about it. Because I knew that God is demanding for me to be glorifying to him. So God has this demand that he puts on the whole world, okay? It's not optional. God says, you will glorify me. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, all those who are called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. You and I have been created to glorify God. And John Piper knew that. We all know that. We suppress it. We hate it. But we know God is worthy of our glory, and we're supposed to be about giving him glory. But John Piper also found within himself this desire to be happy and to be satisfied and and to find joy And, and in his mind, he always thought those two things collided and they were in conflict with one another. John Piper wanted to be happy and God wanted to be glorified and he finally began to read the Bible and the Holy Spirit opened his eyes and gave him comprehension and gave him clarity like we talked about last week and said those two things are not opposite, they're the same. In fact, you are most happy when you are finding your satisfaction in God through Christ alone. And I believe, I really believe that's what all these things around us, wine and milk and bread and feast and food and festivals and music and art, all of those things are just little echoes like C.S. Lewis would talk about. They're just these little echoes just on the peripheral, just on the margins of the true reality of who God is. That's why we're always left longing for are in the presence of beauty or when we eat good food, you know, we, we we want more. We want to do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Like the little kid that hears a, that hears a song and he's like, sing it again, mommy. Sing it again. Read the book again. One of my kids, I'm reading a frog and Toad book. And I kid you not, every night that kid wants me to read the same story. I could recite the story right now, why? Because it brings him joy to hear it. The things that make us happy, we want them to repeat. We don't ever want them to end. And that's okay. God made us like that. He made us like that. That's why... Uh, We read things from St. Augustine, uh, one of the first uh, writers and theologians of the first century, and one of the greatest. He wrote in his book, Confessions. No book like that had ever been written before. That was confessional in nature, where a Christian is just laying his heart open. And Augustine said this, you have made us for yourself, O God. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Have you ever... Have you ever experienced that, my friend? Whether whether you are uh, an unbeliever or you're a believer, whether you feel solid right now and you're walking with the Lord or whether you feel like you're far from God and you haven't tasted this joy in a long time, haven't you known and and, and encountered that you were made for something greater than what you're experiencing right now? You know, even laying your head on your pillow at night and curling up in the fetal position for eight hours and sucking your thumb— To me, I believe God made that. He, He wired this creation in such a way that rest is something that, whether we want it or not, we need it. We have to have it. And it points to something greater, the rest, the rest that God offers us in Christ. I mean, Jesus issued all these amazing invitations. Come to me, you who labor and are wearied, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You have never had a burden like the burden Jesus gives you. It's almost like it's a (laughs) non-burden. It's almost like it's the same burden that a lifeguard uh, would throw on you with with one of those life vests. You're drowning and he throws you a life vest and you say, I don't want to be burdened with a life vest right now. I'm drowning, right? Isn't it crazy? It's almost like it's a non-burden. It's actually relief. It's what you've been looking for and searching for your entire life and it's been right in front of you but you've suppressed it and you've tried to find that satisfaction in lesser things. Um, Israel had seven feasts, annual feasts every year. You can read about those in the book of Leviticus. They had the Passover, the Unlimited Bread, the Festival of Weeks or Pentecost, the Festival of Booths. They had all these feasts and all of them, you know what they were pointing toward? The joy and the satisfaction and the rest in the, in the exuberation and the exhilaration that they were supposed to have in God. Of course, they turned into legalistic law-keeping, right? And that's why God eventually says, I am weary of your feast and your festivals. I'm weary. They make me sick. That's the Hebrew literal <laughs> Tommy version of what it means in Hebrew. He says, those make me sick because you're neglecting the very reason and purpose that I gave them for you. So God made us to have joy and to feast, and that is why it's so disappointing and unsettling and and tragic when we settle for a famine. And you know we do, don't you? (laughs) If you've been a human being and you're a thinking person, you know that God offers us uh, this joy, this satisfaction, this feast, wine and milk and bread. And and, and listen to what those categories offer. Wine is for joy. That's what it represents in the Bible, okay? Um, And milk is for nourishment. Again, not the skin milk, the 2%, the good stuff, the organic, right? Maybe even the, uh, if you're really homeopathic, it's, it's, it's the milk that's not pasteurized, right? Uh, not get you in trouble if you're selling that stuff. I don't know. It's the good stuff. It would have even been goat's milk, not cow milk. Uh, it nourishes you, and you need it, especially if you're an infant. You need your mother's milk, right? So wine for joy, milk for nourishment, bread for strength. Why are you selling for the candy, why are you eating licorice and Skittles and m and and chocolate? And you think that's what life is about. God has something much better for you. We are settling for a famine. And you know, um, we all have writers uh, that helped us. And, and a lot of people say, I read this book, it changed my life. The Bible is the only book that really changes your life. But there are some books about the Bible uh, that are life-changing too and shaping. And one of those books for me was C.S. Lewis. Uh, I mean, all the books that he wrote, honestly. I think this book, that I'm gonna quote from, may have been from The Weight of Glory. I'm not really sure, uh, honestly, but I remember this paragraph, and I'm gonna read it because I don't wanna get it wrong. Um, and you listen to this, and, and you tell me if this resonates with you. C.S. Lewis says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires, not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, When infinite joy is offered us, we are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I don't know why, but the imagery of of Lewis's uh, fascinating mind and imagination stuck with me. I see this little kid and he's in a dirty street, maybe with syringes, and just gross, disgusting leftover rotting food and some dirty sand, and he's making a mud pie in the street by the gutter. And somebody comes up and says, young man, what are you doing? Come to the ocean with me. There's clean, white sand there. We can have a holiday together and you can make sandcastles. And the kid says, no thanks, I'd rather, I'd rather stay here and do this. And I think so often Lewis is capturing uh, what the Bible teaches. God is not put off by your desire to be happy. He is saddened that you have settled He's, he's unhappy and sad and greed that you have settled for something that he knows is not going to bring you lasting joy and hope and satisfaction. In fact, it's going to take you so far away from God's original purpose to you, and your life is going to take on a meaning that is actually despair. And that's what another prophet, Jeremiah, talks about. He says in chapter two, he says, be astonished, O heavens, be astonished. Never before has it been done that a people have exchanged their gods like my people have exchanged our gods. My, God, their gods, and he says they have they have uh, abandoned the, the living water, and they have cut out for themselves cisterns that are broken and that cannot hold water. What an amazing and a powerful uh, word picture there for us, right? He says you have abandoned the living water, right? This fresh, ice ice cold, filtered mountain water. You've said no things, and instead you tried to dig a well in the desert, and it's just dirty sand down there. They can't hold water; it's broken. And you've settled for that. You've left God and you've settled for this and this is your new life. And, and not only that, but now you think God's not interested in helping you. And all of that's a lie. That's a lie that a lot of us believe and it's so hard for us to cut back through the confusion and, and the hedge of lies to get back to the truth. And that's why what God is saying to us here is, is so shocking, but it's so refreshing. You and I were made to feast and God is the true feast. And we are settling for... A famine. We are like a little kid that's ignorantly making you know mud pies and the dirty slums because we won't take God for his word and go to the go to the to the beach to have a holiday with him. you know John John Cheever was a was an American novelist and he wrote this. He said the main emotion of the adult American who has had all the advantages of wealth, education and culture is what's the main emotion John? Disappointment, <laughs> it's disappointment. Disappointment, disillusionment, depression, maybe anger, I could add all of those. Anxiety, apprehension, maybe guilt and shame and fear that you're not what you know you should be, you're not where you ought to be. Uh, that's why a lot of people have a midlife crisis well before they're midway through life because they tried everything and none of it worked. And they're so disillusioned and disappointed and put off And then on top of that, they have believed the lie that now the only thing waiting for them is God's judgment because He's so angry. He's so incensed. And and the only thing He's interested in doing is making them feel their own rebellion and the pain of their mistakes. And that's just not true. That's not true at all. You've got Isaiah 55. I mean, you've got the whole New Testament with Jesus saying, How I have desired to take you like a mother bird takes her chicks under her wings. But you were not what? Abel? That's not what He says. You were not willing. You were not willing. So now your house is going to be left to you desolate. This is Isaiah. He is making this surprising appeal. It is a surprising appeal. He's saying, hey, you come and, and, and be satisfied. Return and be changed. That's what this whole chapter is really about. So uh, one of my favorite writers to, to read, Ray Orland, he said this. He said, our world is a vast marketplace of unsatisfying, but costly remedies for our God-shaped longings, but we're not very smart shoppers.
3: <laughs> Isn't he right? We're all buying
0: something, you know. Uh, we're all buying something, and, and and it's not producing what it promised. Um, and that's really the last point that I want to camp out on. We were made for a feast, but we settle for a famine. But thankfully, that's not the final chapter. Thankfully, there's a chapter 55, right? Because check this out: God's invitation still stands. He is still interested in you coming to the party. Has just gotten started and and there is plenty of provision. The wine hasn't ran out, the milk hasn't ran out. I bet you've never drank milk at a party, have you? Well, God's party is different because there's nourishment, there's joy, there's strength, there's purpose. This is amazing. God's invitation still stands. But first we gotta talk. <laughs> That's what I love about this, man. God's not just gonna sweep everything under the table. He'll forgive you of all your sins, but there is one thing that keeps you and me and anyone else on the planet um, from receiving the abundant provision that God has made. Are you ready to hear what it is? Do you know what it is? It's you will not open yourself up to God. That's what it is. That's the problem, that's the barrier. And there's a word for it, it's unbelief. It's unbelief, it's pride. It's, you're just running further away. It's, 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 it's like a wayward kid running from their father and they are so convinced that the only thing they're gonna get when they get back uh, is discipline and, and chastened judgment that they're running further and further away. And God says, stop, I'm chasing you, but not for the reason you think I am. (laughs) If you would turn around, I just want to take you to a party. That's what God is saying. Look, judgment has been placed on somebody else and the success that you were supposed to secure, somebody else succeeded for you and they are offering as a free gift their success. It's your success. Their victory is your victory. So God's invitation stands, but he wants to have a talk with you. Now, I'm a father, I've got kids ranging from toddler to teenager. And if you were to stand outside our window on any given day or night, any time of the day, really, just to be honest, (laughs) you might hear these words. Stop. What are you doing? Why? Look at the mess you're making. Let's think about this. Let's talk about this. You would probably hear that, that voice. And full disclosure here, it would be my voice. And it would be me talking to my kids. And I would be telling them, look, What you're doing is not working. It's not working for you. It's not working for me. It's not working for our life. We gotta talk about this. How did you get here? Where did you go wrong? (laughs) What decision-making process were you involved in that led you to this place right now? You know, don't you love the fact that God is so reasonable? You know, my voice, if you would hear it, it would sound full of annoyance and frustration and anger, and I would feel exasperated. And you know, ready to crack the whip, so to speak, metaphorically, right? Um, but that's not when you hear God's voice reasoning with you, and He does all through this book, really. Even the chapters that are filled with judgment. Do you know the very first chapter in Isaiah, verse 18? God says this Come and let us reason together. Though your sins be like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. They'll be white as wool. That's Isn't that amazing? I mean, what other religion? It's okay to talk about these things. You go and you explore every religion in the world. And you tell me which of them has a God that will do that. Come and let's reason together. You've sinned. You've messed up. You've ran away. You've rebelled. You deserve punishment. But let's talk about this. I can forgive you. I can give you a new start. I can hit the reset button. I can make you a new person. What other religion or what other God can offer that? Only God. And he does that again right here. He offers you a a, a new beginning, a new start like permanent change. But first, a conversation has to take place. And here's what the conversation starts with. God says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food and incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. God is saying, look, you've got to come, you've got to listen. So see, now the analogy changes. Before we were talking about eating and drinking, and now it changes, and he's talking about listening. So what's the feast? The feast is God's word. You've got to listen to God. You've got to to reevaluate his word. You've got to open your heart up to God, and you've got to admit, okay, this life that I'm living and have chosen for myself is not working out. I'm stuck. Things are not good. I am not happy. My joy is not where it should be and where I want it to be. And I've got to own up. It's because of the choices that I've made. I'm not a victim here. And I know we all start there. We know what, if it wasn't for my boss, or if it wasn't for my wife, or if it wasn't for my kids, or my church. And look, all of those places, organizations, people, there's there's blame to be had there. I, I understand, I'm a pastor, I'm not perfect. I've hurt people. And you know what? Confession and repentance and reconciliation uh, sometimes need to happen in those cases, right? There needs to be leaders and dads and and, and families that own up to their mistakes and own up to their sin. But I will tell you that this, even when that happens, still, until we acknowledge our own personal responsibility um, with the, the, the joylessness and the rebellion and the waywardness we have in life, that's where real change happens. Even if those things out there were fixed and were perfect, you still got this to reckon with, right? (laughs) That's what God is saying. God is saying, come and listen to me. Eat my word and your soul will live, not theirs. This is where real change happens. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. The change that you most desperately need, God knows where it starts and it's not out there with somebody else or some other organization or your family or your dad or your mom or your kids or your employer or your spouse. It's right here, right here in your heart. That's where God does his work. That's where the plow of God's word has gotta come in and it's gotta break break through that surface layer that's crusted over and hardened by just a, a, a challenging life and just callous And cold, God's gotta churn it up and break it up and say, you gotta open yourself up to me. Because listen, my friends, this is the most shocking thing at all. This is the most shocking thing at all, is that God will never be put off by you opening yourself up to him and humbling yourself in his presence, ever. Not ever. God says, come to me all you who weary and labor. And he promises to never cast anybody aside. This is an invitation. And what's so interesting here is that you know the the person that you think God would be after the most, the one that's put together, the one that's got it all figured out, the one that's man they got their daily devotions, they've memorized their scripture, they got their kids and their family in order, they're crushing it, they're killing it, man, they're at the top of the game, so to speak. God's not going after those people, why? Because they haven't felt their real impoverishment, really. And that's not to say anything negative about people that. Are uh, or walking with the Lord, praise God for that. You know, I long for, for an extended season like that, right? But but so often my shortcomings and my sins and my failures and my flaws come into come into play. And I'm I'm looking at them and I'm thinking God's God doesn't want me anymore. I failed him. You are the person God's most interested in coming for, but you gotta open yourself up to him. You know God goes after the weak people, the marginalized people. God goes after the people that really are the victims, right? They really have been beat down by life and have made poor decisions. Those are the people he's most interested in chasing over. That's the truth. In fact, I want to read, uh, I want to read this quote. I'm reading a book that, that my friend Melissa gave me. Um, and man, I forget the name of it. Dane Ortland wrote it. Somebody can make a comment. And I think it's called lowly and gentle, low or gentle. It's, it's gentle and lowly. I, gentle and lowly. Thank you. And here's what I appreciate about, about Dane Ortland. Number one, He's the son of one of my favorite writers, the Gospel Ninja himself, Ray Orland. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dane Orland, he said it took him seven years to write this book. And I, you know, this is another topic for another day. Uh, but if somebody's just going to take a few blog posts they wrote and make a book, or take their journal and publish it, um, this guy has. That's okay. Maybe somebody will buy it and read it, and I'm sure it'd be helpful. This guy has thought long and hard about who is Jesus. Who does Jesus really say that he is? Just G- just look at him in the four Gospels. Who does he say that he is? What's he say about himself? And how do his actions back that up? The whole book's about it. And it's just been blowing me away. And here is a paragraph I want to read uh, that, as somebody said, you could read this paragraph to me every day for the rest of my life. And, and I'd give you a hug because I need to be reminded of this. And maybe you do too. Maybe whoever you are out there, and we never know, all the people, maybe you're, maybe you're not commenting but maybe you're eavesdropping on this live stream from YouTube or Grace Live, and maybe you are really, really stuck right now. And maybe you've never been to church a day in your life, but you know, you've heard about Jesus, right? You've heard uh, about Christians and about churches, and maybe you believe the hype, maybe you believe some of the people that have hurt in their history. It's just filled with a bunch of hypocrites. But maybe you're you're stuck in life right now, and I want to read this to you. This is for you, okay? Dana Orton wrote this. Who could have thought up such a savior? He's talking about Jesus who could have invented Jesus Jesus is not trigger happy he is not harsh or reactionary or easily exacerbated he is the most understanding person in the universe not just there's more just hit the pause button who is the most understanding person that you have ever met in your life ever Jesus so far surpasses them. He's the most understanding person in the universe. I just wondered, do we think of God that way? Because Jesus came to show us who God is and what he's like. (laughs) The God of the Old Testament is not different than the God of the New Testament. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is God's word incarnate. He is the word become flesh, right? So what Isaiah is saying about come and listen to my word, Jesus is God's word become, become personal, right? He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Jesus is accessible for all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness. No one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. You need to hear that like I do. Not only is he the most understanding person in the universe, that's just half. Oh, I understand. Bless your heart. I get it. I get it. I I understand. I feel so bad for you. But keep your distance. No, 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 no. Here's the other half. Nobody in human history has ever been more approachable. He says, I understand. Now come over here. (laughs) Come over here. Let's talk. Let's talk about your life. What got you to this point? The famine that you've been settling for. Let's talk about this feast because there's still room at the table. There's still room at my table for you to be here. And then he ends it by this. The minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply open yourself up to him. It is all he needs. Indeed, it is the only thing that he will work with. (laughs) So maybe you've been looking for a breakthrough and you want to get closer to God, but you have never really come to the end of yourself. (laughs) And therefore, you have never really opened yourself up to God. Friends, you all know this is true. This is like we never make much progress in prayer because all we do is just dance on the margins. Like Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this job. Thank you for this family. We never, we never dig down past that and say, God, I am looking at myself. I am confronted with who I really am right now, and I can't stomach it. I can't stomach it. I I, I I can't bear to live with this version of myself anymore. This is not working for me. I'm I'm, I'm unhappy. I'm unsatisfied. I'm angry, I'm filled with rebellion and with lust, and there's just deception. I'm always trying to to put myself together and offer the best version of myself, and I'm just just a train wreck waiting to happen, and God says, I'll work with that, I'll work with that. Finally, we're getting somewhere. Finally, we're making progress. I just love that about God. (laughs) So many people just refuse to open themselves up to God. He's not chasing after the people that are all put together and that are self-righteous. In fact, if you really want to read the harshest res- uh, words in the Bible reserved for human beings, you will find it in the words of Jesus when he's talking to the religious, hypocritical, false teachers of his day. That's really Go read Matthew 23, and all the woe to you, woe to you, woe to yous. And it's all directed at Pharisees and scribes and lawyers who were the religious teachers. Jesus has the kindest words reserved for sinners and for sufferers. In fact, this this statement changed my life, and I wish I could say when I was a kid, (laughs) but that wouldn't be true. This changed my life just a few years ago. I was at a conference. I'm taking notes. I'm listening to a guy talk, and he said these words. He said, God is wonderfully attracted to need. It blew my mind. It blew my mind. God is wonderfully attracted to need. Do you believe that? then go back and read the Bible because this invitation is for needy people like you and me. See, I thought that God was wonderfully attracted to strength. (laughs) He's not, he's attracted to weakness. He is, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong to righteous and powerful people, right? (laughs) No, to people who know their hearts are empty. And, and they have blame and they have guilt and, and and they're ready for a new start. That's who God is most drawn to and attracted to. That's it. So that's what this is, is really all about. And maybe I can illustrate this. Uh, one of my best friends, Jeff Eckert and I, uh, we had a friend, mutual friend, who was starting a, a fishing tour business. He had a boat. He was married. He and his wife uh, were going to start giving tours out. He was the manager of a sports athletic store at a, at a mall in Orlando. And he was just ready to do what he really loved. So he invited Jeff and I, along with he and his wife, out on their boat. He was going to take us out of the ocean and give us a guided fishing tour. And he said, man, we're going to be reeling in the fish. So we went to a place, and I believe it was Ponce Inlet. And uh, it was at the end of the day when the tide was really strong. The current was strong, pulling the boats out. And there's this uh, eddy. I almost said a yeti. There's a Sasquatch. <laughs> no, there's, there's an eddy. And it's these big rocks over there, right? And there's all these other boats, and they're anchored, and the people are fishing, and they're drinking their drinks, and man, they're willing the to fish. So my friend and his wife took us out there, and we dropped the anchor, and we threw our lines out, and everything's going wonderful. The sun is setting. It's a perfect day. Um, and all of a sudden, we lost our mooring. We lost the anchor, pulled loose, and we couldn't even pull the anchor up. And then the boat started drifting really fast toward the rocks. And, you know, I didn't grow up on the beach. I'm just from northeast Arkansas, and I'm thinking— Big deal. What's going on? Everyone's panicking. I mean, the guy that owns this boat that grew up on the ocean, he's panicking. His wife is starting to cry because the boat won't start. The motor won't start. We can't get the anchor up. There's these rocks over. I don't know. I'm just from Arkansas. I'm thinking, I'll just jump out of the boat and swim to safety if things get bad. You know. Of course, I'm not the owner of the boat. But this guy picks up his, first his wife gets out all the life vests and throws them out and says, put these on, I'm thinking. I can swim just fine, why, why do I need this on? She says, no, let's put these on, you may need these. And then her husband picks up the walkie talkie and starts saying these words, mayday, mayday, we're at the eddies at Ponce Inlet, Coast Guard, Coast Guard, mayday, mayday, boat in distress, drifting toward the rocks, imminent danger, mayday, mayday. I thought, I honestly thought it was a joke and then his wife started crying I'm thinking, okay, this just got really serious. Now, thank God we weren't very far from the Coast Guard headquarters there. And within five, I kid you not, within five minutes, this big boat, man, with this loud motor, soldiers on the deck, colorful. It's got these uh, life life lifesaver, preserver things hung all around. It's got like five boat engines on the back. It comes barreling into the channel there. And here's what's interesting to me. Here's this big, strong Coast Guard boat, man. They're all put together. They got all these engines all this power, all this clout, and they're passing up all these perfectly serene and tranquil boats that are drinking and having a good time, and they're anchored, and their motors work. Uh, They're passing all them up, they're drawn to us, why? Because we're in distress, man. We're headed toward the rocks. We lost our anchor, we lost our boat, we got life jackets on, we're waving, we're jumping. Uh, This guy's on the walkie-talkie, his wife's crying. The Coast Guard came to us, why? Because we're desperate, man, we're indeed. We called them. We said, mayday, mayday, i got a feeling. i got a feeling that a lot of Christians have never been to that place. See, we think that's for just the, that's for the people on Skid Row, right? That, that, that have empty syringes from the night before. That's for the people whose, whose families are absolutely falling apart. And it is for those people too, don't get me wrong. But sometimes I think Christians, we don't really believe these promises are for us. And they are. Maybe you just never picked up the radio and said, Mayday, Mayday, life in distress. Know that I have been created for a feast, but I have been settling for mud pies in the slums. Will you come and get me, God? Come and get me and change my life because I'm helpless. I've tried everything and I need a new start. If that's you, I'm telling you, friends, there is hope because Christ has made the payment for you. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. You don't need it. God's already paid your way to be there. And I could go on and on, but I'm just going to say one more thing. Okay? One more thing, because there's a beautiful promise at the very end of this passage, and I'm just going to touch on it. I should have done a series in Isaiah 55, but I feel like we're serious, we're have serious fatigue. There's been one series after another, so this was just a standalone. Check this out. Look at verse uh Let's look at verse 10. Check this out with me. This is a really familiar part of the Bible that most people sell themselves short on. And I'll show you why. Verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. Amazing promise, right? No matter what, God's word, and I believe the word that Isaiah is always talking about here is the gospel. The gospel is going to fulfill the purpose for which God sends it, right? It's not going to come back empty. It's not going to come back void. It's it, it's it's going to accomplish the means for which it was sent, right? Amen. Hallelujah. But I got a question for you. What is that purpose? What is the purpose that it will send? Have you ever wondered that? Like, why don't we sell ourselves short here? Um, Okay. What if I were to tell you, hey, look, I've got a purpose for your life and I'm going to fulfill it and it will be met and we will have success there. (laughs) Would you have a question? Uh, Okay, great. Uh, Can you tell me what that purpose is, please? Well, he does. He tells you the purpose. And this is one of the Most radical, I know that word is overused, but I really believe it. I think this is one of the most radical and weird word pictures anywhere in the Bible. And you'll hear why in a minute. Check this out. So, my word shall accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. And then look at verse 12 and 13. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Now check this out. Verse 13. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Did you hear something in there that was weird? Uh, I'm not a botanist, I don't have a degree in uh, landscaping or anything like that, but I've got a thorn bush in my yard that I hate, I hate it. And every time it rains, when I go out there and look the next day, it's it's bigger and it's greener, right? it's not a different tree. It's not a different plant because that's how rain works, right? That's how rain works and that's how when snow comes and melts, uh, everything that's there, it gets bigger uh, and it gets healthier and stronger, right? But that's not what God's word does. Do you hear what he's doing here? He says, the thorns shall come up a cypress. Now, thorns and cypresses are two totally different plants, right? Isn't this amazing? What is the purpose for which God's word has been sent? By total transformation and change. God is interested in changing you and changing me. That's what this invitation is all about. You were made for a feast. You're settling for a famine. God's invitation stands. So why don't you come? Why don't you come this feast so that you can be changed? It's not you're just going to be different. You're going to be a better version of yourself. That's self-help garbage. It is. It is. That's, that's psychology minus uh, everything that God's word says. We can just, you know, do some improvements here and there. You'll be the best version of yourself you can be. No, that's not what God says. God says you'll be different. You'll be changed. You'll be new. That see, Jesus made this promise. He said, "Behold, I make all things new." He didn't say, "Behold, I make all things better." I'm not interested in better. I've tried better. Have you Have you tried better and it ended up being worse? I I need a new heart. I need a new life, I need a new start, I need a new beginning, and and Jesus is interested in that. That's exactly what the gospel promises to accomplish in your life and in my life. Briars, thorns, death, pain, agony, misery. Well, how about a myrtle tree? How about a cypress? How about something strong, and something that's planted by the water, which is cypress trees typically grow in water, something that can sustain itself. I mean, Jesus came to the woman at the well, and he said, are you tired of drinking this water at the well when you just get thirsty again? How about this? If the Holy Spirit works in your life, he will produce in you rivers of living water and you will never thirst again. You'll be a brand new human being. You'll have a new heart. All things will become new. The old things will pass away. That's the promise that God makes through Jesus to you and me. The gospel will change you forever, always changing, progressively changing. That's what the gospel offers. Um, So listen, God's not annoyed or put off by your need. He's drawn to it he's attracted to it. He invites you and I to come and sit at this table to drink this wine, this milk, this bread and to be changed forever. Hallelujah, what a savior. Uh, that's the message for today. And I hope whether you're a regular Grace Life member or whether you're just somebody that, that, that caught this live stream today, I hope that that engages you, that God is making these glad appeals. Do you want personal change? Do you want to be satisfied? Or are you tired of the emptiness and the misery? Um, then come to this feast and be changed. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, everyone who's hungry and who's empty, come to the water. Without money and without price, your way has been provided. Your sins can be forgiven. You can have a new start and a new heart and be changed forever. Amen? Let's pray, and then Diane's going to come and give us— some uh, announcements. Lord Jesus, thank you for this unblushing promise that you make to us in your word. I pray that we believe it, God. We believe it and we act on it. It is too urgent to ignore. Uh, It's too urgent to ignore, Lord. It's too important to dismiss and to scoff and mock at. And I wish we could dig even deeper into this chapter. Maybe we will at another time, but uh, give your people understanding of this message today, I pray in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
2: Amen.
0: Microphone to you, my sister.
5: Thank you. Thank you, Tommy. Are you encouraged today? What an encouraging message. Got a few announcements today. Um, Stay connected with us. Keep checking your emails. Check us out on social media. If you haven't already signed up to receive emails, please... Um, visit our website or email us at contact at gracelifelorida.com. Um, if you are hurting today and you need some counseling, please remember that we partner with Fieldstone Counseling, um, which provides biblical soul care to um, people in the Blue- in Belush County area. And Melissa Affalter is our representative for Fieldstone. Um, if you need information on that, check the website. Um, or you can email Melissa M. Affalter at fieldstonecounseling.org. Tommy mentioned the survey that went out yesterday. Um, There's only five questions on that survey. Please um, do your best to um, fill that out today and send it back to us. That would be great. Um, Community groups will not be meeting this week, but we will have our fifth Wednesday prayer gathering and I just thought, you know, 100 people can participate on Zoom at once. How cool would it be? Um, that would be awesome to have 100 people normally gather at the Nugent's house when we usually do it. But that would probably hard uh, be hard to do. But wouldn't it be awesome if we had um, just a bunch of people on Zoom on um, Wednesday for our Fifth Wednesday Prayer Gathering? Um, please check your email. Look for that link. You can also find that in the church app. It would be wonderful to have you on there uh, praying and and let's see what God will do. Um, I think that's that's it for the announcements. We, oh, we have um, men knowing God May fifth and nineteenth, and, and then women knowing God May twelfth. You can find those dates in the church app or also on our website as well. I feel like I we'll want to have everybody stand and do the charge. <laughs> so there's the four people in here. You um, can stand at home. <laughs> All right, are you ready? Okay, here we go. I am a witness. Grace. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. If you want to stick around for a couple of minutes um, and and chat, I think that would be awesome. Um, Thank you guys for coming. Hold on. You give that back to Tommy. You guys want to chat? I'm
0: going to do my best to try and read these comments here. Uh, let's see I'm going to put this microphone on the podium
5: that
0: wait works. is that working I'll just hold it so has everybody already signed off
5: <laughs> maybe
0: <laughs> it says say something yeah. hey I really do hope you guys can be a part of the uh, fifth Wednesday prayer Joe Nugent one of our elders is going to host that and we're going to do it through Zoom and Zoom has been an incredible technology yes. for us What a blessing that we can use so uh I hope that you guys will join us this Wednesday at seven o'clock. We're not having community groups this week. Um, so tune in. And if you have any questions about how do you get the, the zoom link, just uh, you can, you can email us at, what is it? Contact at grace life, Florida.com sure. or
5: We're serving
0: serving at grace life, And we will get you, the links. No, we are still here. All right, yay! I'm still here too.
5: We have hi from Sadie.
0: Hey, Sadie, how's it going?
5: And Michelle, <laughs> your Kyle said, "Who's that?" <laughs> You're going to be in trouble, Mister. Sounds good. Yeah. Aww.
0: <laughs> hey, listen, guys. I just want to say it is such a joy to, to have uh, so much encouragement. Oh, yes. <laughs> the Mayday, Mayday illustration. Oh, hey, amen. It moved me to tears too when I was on that boat. I was <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way, the story ended well. I lived, Jeff lived, and they rescued that boat. It was pretty amazing. The anchor had gotten wrapped around the propeller. And so we were able to go up underneath the boat uh, when we were safely docked. Uh, the Coast Guard drug us in and we went up under there and untangled it. And the motor started fine and we were on our way. And maybe God just wanted to give me an illustration. So, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Uh, that's
5: awesome. So we had the um, Browers watching today, and Araceli and Fran, and
0: Aaliyah, and
5: Aaliyah, Christy
0: Ross. I think Patty made yes. it on there Yes, yeah, Patty
5: Fox. Awesome. Patty there and there the Nugent family. Charles uh, says hi. Great hello, message. Charles. Thanks, Tommy, and everyone.
0: Guys, we love y'all. We're so thankful for you. And uh, you know, just uh, circling back around to the very beginning. Uh, it, we've, we've been trying to figure out when is Florida going to reopen and when at the very earliest would we even be able to go and rent the school again? We still don't even have a clear answer, but it seems like the very earliest, according to the best knowledge that we have in consulting other churches is early to mid June, early mm-hmm. to mid June. So this is probably going to be a reality. Somebody suggested we do a drive up church service. Some churches are doing that, that have buildings that have parking lots, which we don't have. So that's something that maybe we can talk about doing. Let's pray pray
5: about it. Pray about it.
0: And uh, I would love, as long as everyone can stay protected, that we can at least see each other and be outside. So uh, we even talked about when we go back to the church, maybe have an outdoor service for a little while, like we do on fifth Sundays, but without the food. Uh, I don't know if you have any suggestions or ideas. uh, You guys chime in. Send us.
5: In the survey, there's a place where you can do that. Yeah,
0: there's in the surveys, are, there's a place where you can do that. This sounds like one of those silly YouTube videos that my kids watch, and they're always saying, smash the like button, share. This is epic. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, if this message was encouraging to you and you want to spread it far and wide, like Patty Parks said, the word of God is not unchanged, then share this message and maybe with somebody that's stuck in life right now that needs that's right. Needs uh, to be shocked and surprised by by the love and, and the grace of God. You know, we we underestimate God so often, don't we?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: God bless you. We love you. We'll see you guys soon. Have a great day.